0: Hi and welcome to the Campaign Builder Series on the It's a Mimic Podcast. I am Dan. And I'm Adam. And we're working with you to build a campaign to get your characters from level 1 to level 20. We know that every
1: table is different and so is every dungeon master, so please take what you want from each of these episodes and use, adapt, and throw away whatever you need to in order to make things work for your campaign.
0: We have no idea what our party will be, so we'll be designing encounters for an assumed party of the following five archetypes, a warrior, priest, mage, criminal, an outdoorsman the
1: characters will be leveling up as we go but for now we're at level two and it's time to finally get a sense of the law and our party's place either working with or fighting against the local law enforcement let's get to building
0: so adam we've had this uh Massive religious battle go on with demons and devils and ghosts and shadows. We've had rioting and looting and pillaging. We've had uh, murder and theft. Um, and now it's time to really lay down the repercussions of all of that action that has happened the past couple uh, sessions in a kind of legal and law focused session. Why is in-game law... And establishing some sort of uh, level of law so important in D and D. Well,
1: uh, look, it comes down to the fact that everybody starts off as a murder hobo. When you discover, when you are at you know low level or you're early in your D and D career, um, or even if you're experienced but you know you're level one and two, most people are used to starting in a roadside tavern out in the wilderness where you can kill a couple of bandits in the middle of the tavern and get away with it. We've decided to establish our campaign setting uh, inside an urban setting and the reason that urban locations work well, the reason that people head towards civilization is for a sense of order and we need to have that. We need to have that right from the beginning and we've already kind of established what the rules of our own guild are We've established what the boundaries are that we're running up against uh, our enemy guild, Lachlan's Lot is. We've played with uh, the idea of kind of what's out there in the wilderness, and we're getting an idea of what's going on with the religious, but we're not dealing with the city itself. What is going on? This is our hometown. This is where we're starting this campaign, and we're quite a few sessions in at this point, minimum seven, I'd say, and we don't really have an idea of who's the mayor, who's the sheriff any of that kind of thing. And we need to start getting an idea now of who these other big movers and shakers are because we're going to leave and we're going to go out on behalf of this uh, of this town, on behalf of our guild as well, and we're going to go out into the, other, into the greater world and we're going to go be big fucking awesome heroes, right? Yeah. But we can't do that unless we know where we're coming from. And it's going to be a whole lot different if you're coming from an assassins guild being sent out to wipe out a prince or you're getting out from <laughs> f- from a holy order going out to to wipe out an assassins guild right like we need to know what our own laws of our
0: our civilization are and the people who embody those laws as well right like uh we have said before in in previous episodes that we're really establishing your party as a lesser authority um also because we're establishing them as heroes so like that is going to bring with them a a little added level of conflict um with the people who already have a certain level of authority within the towns within the religious orders that you encounter um and and it's going to bring with you uh with your party titles and and various things like this that a lot of people play this game for um to 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 become authority figures and to become the people in charge and the movers and shakers so um being able to now determine what the laws in the game are what what the boundaries of your civilization are as well as the people that enforce them um will give your uh characters a better idea of kind of where their limitations sit as well and and where Um, how far they could go and when they're starting to, you know, dance on that line.
1: Yeah. The other thing to keep in mind as well is that while people are looking for titles and holdings and maybe even jobs, maybe they want to become a senator or a judge or whatnot. And that's part of maybe a ship captain, but it doesn't mean anything if you gift it to them and they don't know what dukes can do or what's the difference between a duke and a count, right? I I know that to my players what does it mean in this specific world? And just because I know how the nobility structure works out doesn't mean that they will, and they'll probably need to be shown examples of it four or five times, because you're not just going to give them a booklet and say, here you go, right? This is your your handout on what it means to be noble. While you can do that, that's dry as all hell, and let's show and not tell how, how nobility and structure and Legality and custom and all that stuff works, right? So, yeah, you should. Um, that way, when you go to other far lands, they're going to seem radically different. This is establishing your core sense of building blocks and then adding, you know, if you have a bunch of wooden blocks and they're all just cubes, how mind blowing is it when you add three, you know, little pyramids to it? Or now you get some blue and some red ones, or and you're not doing anything over the top crazy, but by, yeah, sheer there's no contrast, spheres on the table. Yeah, Right, but by sheer contrast you are doing new and interesting things. Um, So this is why we need to establish early on and set your players up. They've gone out and they've had adventures they've had quests, they've helped people, but they haven't been sanctioned heroes yet. I think in the riots we had uh, some of the police officers or the town guard uh, focus on on other bigger issues and so trusted the players a little bit and that was the open door for them to to walk through and understand kind of what they what they can accomplish what are the rules what are what's the division between good guys and bad guys because a lot of times that line can be very very blurred how often do we run into town guard that can be bribed or corrupt governments in this game, or in in real life. But let's not go down that road. But <laughs> but uh, how how often do you run into these um these concept of what is right, what is our sense of order, and why is it established this way? So that when you play with these ideas later to any degree, your players will stop and raise an eyebrow and go, "Well, wait a minute, this is different." And this is just going to give you an extra little depth by spending a session early. And remember, we're in tier one. We're level two, right? Yeah. We're establishing this really, really, really early so that people can wrap their minds around what's here. And if you want to get into the depths of what tasks you need to be able to follow to become a monarch-backed knight man, more power to you. And if you want to become king and overthrow a government, more power to you. Know what the government is, though. Yeah. Right? Know who the monarch is. And so we need to really establish this because there are lots of different ways to go about it. And with such a broad game like Dungeons & Dragons where we don't we don't have rule sets on, well, very the very first thing you have to do is befriend the king. And once the king likes you,
0: then you <laughs> yeah, can... Yeah, there, no, there's... There's no 10 steps to, uh, what is it, 10 steps to uh, make everyone happy and influence others or whatever it is?
1: Yeah, and so we we just need to be able to, like, every everyone will be different. I've had a campaign one time where the very first thing we did was murder the king.
0: Oh, and, good. Starting off with a bang.
1: Well, apparently he was corrupt. We were a bunch of low-level thugs that went in to murder this guy. We had no idea uh what the what the deal was he was just heavily guarded in a tavern we started off at level 5 we murdered him found out the king was on the road on a diplomatic mission but he was super corrupt we did everyone a favor but we were on the run right and so that's i mean you're kicking off with a bang yeah but but we didn't know that we went in thinking we're murder hobos no man we broke the freaking law that was regicide we just committed yeah right and the twist was we didn't know but that's a twist which means most of the time you do know. You have to know. Otherwise, you're walking around the borderlands trying to keep the peace between freaking rust monsters and farmers. Right? If you go into into civilization, you need to know what they're getting up
0: to. Why people choose to live here. What makes civilization so much more different than the world? And it's the law, it's the order of it. It's the, it's it's safety. The hard lines and the walls.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's about, it's about safety. It's about providing people comfort and safety and peace of mind and the ability to move above and beyond their hunting and gathering state of existence. Right. And I, there are some people, Dave from the, from the main podcast, he does not like civilization at all. He wants to be one of those hunter gatherers out in the woods, that's fine. Then you take someone like Terry. I think that if you were to drop him in the middle of the woods, he would survive, but he would also be w- looking for his next uh, cappuccino, right? So <laughs> there are some people that love it and some people that hate it, and varying degrees as well. Your outdoorsman and your priest are going to have two very different perspectives on civilization, right? And exactly. it, yeah. it's important to uh, to kind of determine what that civilization is so that they can have a informed opinion about it as I move forward but there are lots of different kinds of law there's a lot of different kinds of rule sets so you need to know as well which one you're working within
0: right now i just want to go over um those types of law we've kind of we've done a little bit of legwork uh and we've come up with the eight versions of law that uh we see Um, That are very distinct and different from each other, but are also going to matter to your players and um, in a variety of uh, intensities. Impact your players as well. So, um, right off the top, you and and we dealt with this heavily in the the last session. The last episode was the religious law. These are like your Ten Commandments, your your entire book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, your your Pentateuch. If you are a Bible nerd, um, it is your uh series of laws given out by your faith or your religion. It's your systematic theology. Um, these are the things based off your faith uh, that will impact your character. This will matter mostly, uh, at least directly, to your priests or your outdoorsmen. Um, if they're more of the, you know, the nature, type. the superstitious type, um, they could also hit your warrior as well if they're more of that holy warrior um, uh, trope. So yeah, you could all you could also have mages and
1: criminals and even priests that feel shunned. By the religious law as well, and come at it from a negative perspective, but they exactly. would still have to know what the boundaries are of whatever these these do and do nots this structure that is built, this order that is given to to the religion, and there are so many religions and faiths in d and d that
0: you can go pretty deep in this you really can i mean i've I've seen d m s go from writing their own bibles to not knowing what the name of the gods are in their games so You go either direction with these. You could go Ham Wild or you could go kind of surface level and be like, yeah, there's four gods, I think, and make it up as you go along. Either way, you want to have, at least within the city and the bounds that your players are going to be familiar with, you want to have a rough idea of the kind of rules the priesthood and the religious operate by
1: and this is more than just religion we're going to include warlock patrons and stuff in this as well
0: yeah this is this is your spiritual law if you want to think about it that way as well so uh next up on this list is the legal law now this is your regional law this is the kind of law they reinforce and enforce in a courthouse on a city level, this is your uh, don't jaywalk or when you walk into a town, there's only two rules. Don't murder and don't steal. And those two are flexible. There are two different uh, approaches to this. This could be light or this could be heavy. But this is going to be your societal law.
1: Yeah, this is what keeps the, the city or the the gathering, the, the community that you're moving into, it's what keeps them running on a daily basis, right? These these yeah. are laws that are gonna govern them directly on their day to day, whether it could be anything from, you know, building codes and permits, right? Through to like, well, what route is the carnival parade gonna take? Through to why are people in in the dungeons under the castle, right? Like there are there are lots of different things here. I think that for the most part people understand legality because we deal with it every freaking day. I have had enough parking <laughs> tickets in my life to have a pretty good understanding of this. So and yep. I and I think the average person does. So one of the interesting things in Dungeons and Dragons is to show when there is something very different in in civilization and legality as well. Something as simple as uh, men and women are not allowed to uh look at each other in public spaces. Something like that, yep. right? And it might not be religious necessarily. It might just be, well, this is how we maintain the peace, because we've had enough people cheating on each other, and so this is how we keep the peace. And so a lot of this is like peacekeeping. This is not so much for personal gain as it is for stopping um, calamity and negative consequences.
0: Well, this is this is how you impose Civilization, capital C, in an area, is by a, by like civilized law.
1: Yeah. And there are, there are two, we can, we can break into the, well, there's criminal law and there's civil law and you can go that route if you would like. But ultimately for the purposes of a D and D campaign, most adventurers blow into town. They don't need to know exactly what the ins and outs of the divorce court here is because it probably (laughs) won't come up. So I know that people, a lot of people have created, um, Bibles and stuff for religious law. I also know people that have created multi-page documents of this is what to expect inside the city. These are the, are their laws. And I don't know anyone except for Dungeon Masters who's legitimately excited about that.
0: There is another thing you want to kind of pay attention to when you're doing uh, legal law and setting this up in your realm is the uh uh you do want to keep an eye on the type of government as well that is going to play massively important here. Is it a council, is it a king, is it a dictator, is it a mayor, is it what whatever it is that's going to have a different impact on what the um rules of the realm are um or the rules of the city are. Um, and get and get weird with it. He with the largest
1: boil shall be male. Yeah, shall, right. Shall be mayor, right? Like that. That can be. That can be how you do this.
0: Yeah. No, I'm. 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 I'm on board with stuff like that. And and remember, things like kings have reserved hunting woods, and now your party's got to go to the woods to go find a thing. Well, they're not allowed on royal land. So what are they going to do? These are things you want to think about. Next on the list are our organizational laws. Uh, these are the laws of the organization we belong to. We've mentioned that we are running a game that has guilds and um, the guilds are involved heavily. You will likely have players who are involved in some sort of thieves guild or um, or merchants guild or a union of some sort um, or a this could even be a Religious holy order that is a organizational entity above a religious entity or something along those lines. There's a lot that could fit here, and these are the rules that go above, like above the societal rules that this group, this organization, abides by.
1: A lot of times, it's something as simple as just pay your dues to to the group, yeah. right? Or and you're given a patch or a card or something a script that says you can do these following things um but this is your opportunity this is how does the military work what are the different rules between an assassin's guild and a thieves guild what uh what are the different merchant's guilds hold uh in high esteem right if it's not just one merchant's guild there's the the potions merchant's guild and then the standard merchant's guild and then the magic item merchant guild and what do they all have different different rules for their own guilds, different ways that you have to get in and apply or yeah. ways to get kicked out of the guild. Um, this is also where I would say you're going to see a lot of things. Um, there's religious law that's handed down from a power on high, and then there is organizational law. My church says this. My yes. cult says this. And it's, it's very, very different. You can have four different cults that all worship orcas but they could all operate in very different means. That's what the organizational law is.
0: The The way I kind of think about this one in a real world example is Judaism is a religious law. Um, Pharise- uh, Pharisaical laws, the Sadducees, um, these are uh, sects of the religious law that in themselves <laughs> add more laws. CTS, Adam, CTS. Um, but these are the are these are groups within that religious law that then add more rules on more ways to uh run their own organizations um within that that religious body and you also mentioned Adam and I don't want to just gloss over it these are your militaries these are your Uh, militia forces these these are the groups of people with rank and title and file and all of that this will fit in the organizational law and and your soldier is going to have a different set of rules than your militiamen right these are going to be different organizational rules that you put in different but but they still
1: fall under your warrior type um exactly character right so yeah what's the next one dan
0: Next one are the customs. Uh, these are the um, traditions. these are the um, habits. these are the way like the the interesting little tweaks that a society has um, where people may or may not be offended if you do not uh, know them or or do them. It's it is you know, when you get off the plane in Hawaii uh, when travel sanctions are lifted, um, you get the the lay of flowers put around your neck. That is a custom. It's not a law. Um, it's like you're not going to jail if you don't get one. But it is, it is something that they do because it is a tradition that they have established in their society.
1: This is going to affect your um, social standings with people. Not necessarily your ability to walk around and conduct business. But if you do not follow the customs or at least acknowledge the customs you could very likely be in some hot water and not be uh not be very popular with your group.
0: Exactly. I mean, you can also as a DM play with customs as um a negative side as well. They could be they could be those things that your players are uh forced to engage with that they may seem as backwater or um Oh yeah you guys found uh, the uh the orc
1: nudist colony.
0: Yeah. Right? Things like that where it's just like, huh, uh, okay, but that's completely normal to them. Um, It's things like um, with all of the coronavirus stuff going on, I want to keep on injecting stuff, but like uh, that society where you walk in and you spit in your hand before you shake it, right? In our Western world right now, in our our just Earth world right now, you don't do that crap, but hey, it's a custom in this town. I just love that you said Earth world. (laughs) Yeah, right? Uh, next thing we have on our list, number five, is status. Now, we're using this as kind of synonymous with honor. This is the rules and the law of the nobility, um,
1: and- This is very, uh, very similar to organizational and customs, but it's not just, like, a custom is almost a tradition thing. It's always been this way. Nobility runs with their- Look, I slum it with Dan, right? I I am an upper-class noble myself. I hold titles. okay. in three regions here.
0: However... Yeah, okay.
1: However... <laughs> I, I I end up operating under a different rule set. You can actually see people that, like, the super rich actually have this mentality, and we often make fun of it in popular culture and in media and whatnot, by kind of the weird, ridiculous fundraisers they have. The show Arrested Development was great for some of that. Yeah. Um, over the top, this is what high society and rich people think, and, and how, how they... Look at the world through kind of flawed eyes and whatnot. But it's, it's really interesting to see in your Dungeons and Dragons how the nobles interact amongst each other as opposed to how they interact with the other uh, castes in the caste system or the, or the other classes, right? Um, which might be customs but uh but there are definitely rules for nobility and the status and when you start to climb the ranks in nobility cuz sometimes your players want to they're going to see that they have different rule sets they need to follow. Yes.
0: Yeah, it's it's and you have to be concerned with who you offend like when you're when you're dealing with honor and status. Um it is a shame-based culture and what I mean by that is it's very much based off of who you offend or uh how um you kind of view yourself, right? It's it's a very uh inwardly I, focused
1: I would say you're you're definitely right. There's shame, there's also pride and there's a concept of worth. Right? Exactly. Like
0: yeah. uh like financial worth. So um so so that's gonna be your status law, um, which is of course your honor and your nobility. This is night orders, this is the the um Bourgeoisie, this is all of it. Anyways, next is popularity and reputation as a type of law. This is uh, where where status and honor is inwardly focused. Uh, population and reputation is what other people think of you. It's more outward. Pop- popularity, um, not population. Did I say population? Whoops. Popularity. <laughs> I mean, population. No. Nope. No, no, not going there. Anyways, so... <laughs> The, the popularity law is going to be, uh, it, it is, again, it's borderline customs, but it is how the, the masses view you. And, and it could be embodied in some of the higher nobility or, or more authoritative figures in a town, but it is mostly projected by the lower class
1: yeah even even middle class you know, anything like merchant class or sailors or like down at the docks it could be anything that isn't nobility because reputation is also dependent upon rumors and that's a big thing customs aren't right you can yeah. you can have a a flub with one of the customs which becomes a rumor and affects your reputation and popularity but you are really relying on word of mouth and public displays and whatnot uh, yeah. for reputation. This is why in old school D&D, you would hire minstrels and bards to follow you around. You see that in The Witcher, right? So the idea of his reputation is spreading. He doesn't give a shit about the customs. He doesn't give a shit about status. But he does care about his reputation because it gets
0: him more gold. Exactly. um, And remember, this is also, this could be a microcosm of the society at a whole, or um, sorry, a macrocosm of the society at whole, but it could also be a microcosm when you are dealing with your thieves, guilds, and whatnot, which also deal a lot with um, this criminal can get you what you need. Uh, So, you know, talk to this criminal if you need to break into this prison, or into this bank, or something, right? Like, Yeah. Um, Reputation has has an effect on both ends of the spectrum of legality, but it's still there. You're right. Reputation swings in in
1: two directions. That also really ties into our seventh one, which is morality, right? Now there are moral laws and these are the things that you as a player choose yourself to believe in and to follow. And I will always help a child in need and things like that. That's not a legal law or an organizational law it's not about custom right The nobility or the average person might not care but if you see a kid crying lost in the marketplace by themselves do you step in and help right these yeah. are another it's is these aren't laws anymore you see we've walked away from the idea of laws and we start talking about the idea of order right these are things that that guide you and the choices that you make
0: um, and they, this can be tied to your religious law. It can be tied to the customs. It can be tied to your organization. Uh, like, this is the code that you live by, right? And and if you have a knightly order, that would make sense for your warrior to have this code of morality. But if you are a lone wolf ronin character, then you still can have a a sense of morality, a code that you live by. That would fit under your own personal rule of law. Finally on this list, we have the survival of the fittest. This is the rule of nature. And specifically, it is the the rule of the wilderness. It is the law of the wilderness. It is the pecking order of uh, animals. It is the food chain. This is the uh, basis right. form might means right this is the basest form of law in that you will have in your D&D games and you will have this in your D&D games the second you have a bear attack your party
1: yeah which is going to be a big deal at level 1 and nothing at level 20 because you yeah, are more right. powerful right so these are this one is a little bit more common sense but really stop and think about it because if you've got a level 2 party surrounded by a pack of wolves and the wolves are coming in to attack And you look at it, you're like, there's only four wolves in this pack, and I've got a five-person level two party. Like, I'm going to murder them. Then why are the wolves attacking? Even animals have a base understanding of the laws of nature. So uh, this just, I mean, it makes perfect sense for beasts and mindless creatures as well. Um, But also low-level thugs are going to realize, hey, I'm physically bigger than you. You might be a level seven uh, outlander, an outdoorsman that, that's wandering around with you know your big muscles and your bow slung over your back. But I outweigh <laughs> you by 50 pounds. My muscles are bigger, and I've got three inches on you. So I'm going to fuck you up. Uh, I, right, okay, I'm a level three thug. You're a level seven outdoorsman. You're going to whoop my ass, but I don't know that because I'm bigger, survival of the yeah. fittest, right? And so um, a lot of NPCs, especially low-intelligence ones, will uh will fall back on survival of the fittest when they don't have any one of the others
0: to uh to rely on also we will have seen that a lot with the riots we talked about exactly and i mean this again goes both ways where your street level thugs and your 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 like little groups of gangs are really going to follow into this like you said Adam but it's also something your party can use against a you know, merchants to intimidate them or a skinny bookish uh, type character uh, to intimidate them. Because although we live in a civilized land and although the civilized law is um, established in whatever region we are, the nature's law permeates everything. And the the thin little uh, physically incapable... Uh, librarian is not going to be able to uh, stand up in a straight up fistfight with uh, Goliath Monk, right? So, and and they'll know that. So it makes the intimidation able to work the other way around as well. So it is something that you as a DM and you as players have to kind of be mindful of no matter what situation you're in. Now again, like you said Adam when you're level 20, that's going to be a little bit different. Yeah, look, the
1: last thing that I would just want to bring up is there's going to be a couple of people listening to this that says, "Guys, what about you're missing the glaring obvious one here, which is the magic law, the rules of magic?" And I would yep. say this, there are really three ways that you can get magic in a Dungeons and Dragons or a role play setting. Um, one is through a higher power, which is covered by religious law, um, and this includes making deals. One is that you have a natural affinity for it, which is survival of the fittest, and yep. one is you enhance yourself either by learning in your mind or by creating and building or enhancing your own body. In the cases of uh, like Shadowrun, right, and that is uh, is considered either survival of the fittest or organizational law if you're studying somewhere or you are you are dealing within a specific guild or group that that affects magic in Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition for example that would be wizards and bards right there there's an organization here that supports them even if your bard is just a minstrel on his own that does his own thing he would have some general idea of the fact that through music through through these specific steps that I take I can impact magic in a certain way, so think about for each different characters what the rules are around the magic and which way they would lean, because um there are in tabletop role playing games a lot of different mentalities about magic, even though there is usually a system usually ill defined um or <laughs> or loosely defined anyway uh, about where magic comes from and why. Right, yeah. we'll talk. Oh, it's from a god, right? Okay, but but how? Right, like there, it, it's not really laid out there. You could think about this as much as you would like, but sometimes you can just say that your law and your order is that's just the way it is. Move on, or you can dig deep into it and say, you know what? Yeah, this is going to be a major tentpole of our campaign. You'll notice that one of the things that we've done is we've not really penalized our priest for having the gods go missing. Because divine magic is not inherently tied to the gods, it is something the gods provide, but I in my opinion, they turn the tap on and they open yeah. it up every time that you level, right? They would have to go turn the tap off just because they walk away doesn't mean the water stops flowing, right. So that's a really good way
0: of putting it, yeah,
1: so anyway that's uh that's that's kind of the unofficial ninth kind of of law or order uh, or code. Uh, there are lots of different yep. ways to look at this, but that's that's kind of what we're going to be dealing with at this level of uh, of this tier one campaign.
0: Next, really briefly, uh, we want to talk about law and chaos and specifically how the alignment chart can help your lower level players uh, establish themselves as characters and give them a little bit of direction uh, for character decisions that they might not be able to kind of just choose off the top of their head. So, um, we do want to break down for the newer players out there, for the newer DMs. We do want to break down what the ten alignments are, roughly what they what the goals are, um, and then we'll kind of balance what law versus chaos and good versus evil are before we uh, you know try to introduce these things as a little bit wider themes. So, um, real quick. There's the 10 alignments of D&D, the lawful side versus the chaos side, the good side versus the evil side. This goes from lawful good to chaotic evil and everything in between. So well, let's let, let's
1: actually break it down real, really quickly because some of them are, some of them we'll talk about, some of them we won't. Because exactly. yeah. um, if you don't mind, Dan, can I jump in here?
0: Yeah, I don't mind at all. Go ahead. All
1: right. So it's a three by three grid, which gives us nine. I know we say that there's 10 because one of them is simply unaligned. Alignment is your perspective and your worldview. Uh, a rat does not have that until exactly. you you have decided to give it an intelligence through a spell. So, so
0: unaligned are are the unintelligent side of things.
1: Uh, I would say that they're non sentient. And okay, ooze yeah, cool. doesn't really have an alignment. Plants don't really have an alignment. The moment you give them an intelligence score and they become self aware, they tend to have wants and needs, and therefore tactics, and and emotional responses and you know, ideas and thoughts and feelings about those emotional responses. So now this is where we land with an alignment.
0: Yeah, it's anything from feeding to conquest, right? Like, as soon as you give them some sort of desire, you need to figure out kind of where their alignment sits.
1: Yep. How do they impose their will upon the world? That's what this essentially breaks down to. So we've got two gradient scales. We've got uh, law to chaos, and we have good to evil. And there are, um, there are three options in each. So we've got Lawful Good, Neutral Good, and Chaotic Good. We've got Lawful Neutral, uh, True Neutral, which is um, neutral on, on both directions, and then Chaotic Neutral. And then on the evil side of things, we have e- uh, Lawful Evil, Neutral Evil, and Chaotic Evil. Now, I don't want to get into the good versus evil in this, but let's just say that, <laughs> that we could argue for a long time, it, the alignments between different things to different people, despite the fact that they actually have legitimate breakdowns in the rules as written in D&D. Yeah. Different people interpret it different ways because they're very vague and very loose, and they're supposed to be so that people have the freedom to have their own agency and interact with the world the way that they see fit. Dan, how do you, in like two sentences or less, how do you describe good versus evil? How do I describe good versus evil? Yeah. When you look at it from you're building a a character and you decide that you're going to be good or evil or neutral. How do you, how do you reconcile or justify in your head? Why you've
0: chosen it? Good and evil to me is the sanctity of life. Um, it is how much my character values life and intelligent life specifically. um, and uh, how they respond to that opinion. So uh, if they're good, they are very driven to preserve life and the betterment of, of people's quality of life. Um, if they're evil, they are more, let's say, lackadaisical with their care about whether or not someone draws another breath. Um, <laughs> an evil person uh, will more than willingly kill and um will not care about the quality of life that people have as well uh they're they're kind of more about their thing
1: but then how do you justify the neutrality in the middle if
0: evil is ambivalence then what is neutral um well no a evil is not necessarily ambivalence evil is uh i guess ambivalence doesn't mean a complete lack of caring right
1: yeah, I would say that there's a difference between ambivalence and disrespect. Okay, so what you're saying yes. here is that... So
0: so evil is disrespectful of life, and uh, neutral is more ambivalent. I'd, I'd say neutral is... Um, I, I would say neutral doesn't have a strong opinion either way about the quality of life. Um, these could be very much your outdoorsman-level characters who... Criminals as well. Uh, under, and criminals who... who um, the ends justify the means, right? That's that's kind of what more your neutral characters are. They are going to care more about their law versus chaos side than they are about their uh, good versus evil.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I, I have my own personal answer, but um, and it's simply selflessness versus selfishness on a gradient scale, um, and who you're willing to take from and who you're willing to give to, and that'll yep. determine how evil or good you are. But what's interesting to me is that um, I feel like good versus evil can also be zooming in on morality as well. For example, um, evil says, you know, hey, the whole universe is going to die in a, in, you know, as we descend into heat death anyway. Um, so what does it matter if I sit down and murder a bunch of people between now and then? It is what it is. Neutral is very much about the big picture. You know what? Life is important. It's, there's the circle of life. I want creatures to live. But, I mean, I'll take the needs of the many over the needs of the few. And Good says, no, 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 everyone deserves a chance. Down to the smallest intelligent creature. If you have a soul, you deserve a chance. Right? And I think think that that's another way of looking at it. Going from big picture all the way down to to, to little picture. Um, Which is not to say narrow-mindedness, because a lot of people can read it that way. But, I mean, you don't want to be lawful stupid right um but let but let's look at law versus chaos then so how do you how do you in dan dan in two sentences or less law versus Says the chaos. guy who
0: just said 15 sentences adam like, oh come on. I, i'm sorry <laughs> i'm just trying to keep up with you um so in two sentences or less how can i define law versus chaos um it is order versus disorder um A lawful person is going to care about uh, civilization and rules and um, kind of requirements and status, like that's what they're going to care about. A more chaotic person is uh, going to have a complete disrespect for for the rules, disrespect for the chaos, and will do – or sorry, disrespect for the rules, disrespect for the order, and will do what they – um, feel would help bring down the establishment or the or the civilization that the 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 current set of rule law norm that is what a chaotic person will do neutral of course is the ambivalence of either or uh the law can work for them or of course it could work against them and either way they're just going to live their life
1: yeah I, I i can agree with that so for the most part, I don't think that every chaotic person is going to say, um, you know, I'm going to remove all of the law. I mean, some of them will. Uh, definitely definitely, your rebel types, like uh, your Robin Hoods and and, um, and your Star Wars Rebellion, right? Like, these guys are chaotic, but they are also trying to institute their own moral set of rules yeah. as well. Um, so there's like, it is chaotic. I, I find that neutral seems to be okay. What would you say, Dan is chaotic or neutral? Um, the alignment that best describes the idea that by any means necessary, I will uphold good,
0: uh, new neutrality. So chaotic then has, how does chaotic say I will uphold good? You will uphold good. How does chaotic say I will uphold good? Yeah. Um, Chaotic says I will uphold good by um, caring less about the established uh, status, the established nobility, the established regional law, and caring more about the their moral law um, or even in some senses their uh, reputation in order to better the lives of others around them and themselves. Um, but they will like the, the written law of the chaos, the chaos is kind of, oh, sorry, the written law is a thing that the chaotic good person is going against, but they're still bound to the moral law. I see a lot of people like elves that have their own
1: societies and their own customs and their own rules, their own organizations, their own legalities and their own religious laws that are seen as chaotic good. What you're describing to well, me, yeah. what what you describe to me, sounds more fae. Um,
0: well, that's one of the reasons why a lot of those elven societies are seen as chaotic, because a lot of the perspective of the law and chaos, and this is where a lot of the conflict comes when uh, different people look at this thing, is almost from a human point of view. It is from uh the the like the nine the nine section chart is from a human point of view in the human world so the the uh elven um concept of law and societal law and religious law and organizational law is going to look different and look more fey because they are fey like in their origin. So that makes sense to me. But like I would I would look at my high elves who have embraced civilization and embraced um their uh their set of rules or their arcane law or whatever it is that the high elves have and see them as more lawful than chaotic. Like they're not the, the So chaos I could almost I would also kind of put in the whimsical, right? Like the 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 flighty, the emotive, the more uh based off of their emotions type people, I would put under the chaos. See, and this is where you and I disagree,
1: uh, fundamentally, because I see people trying to remove civilization and laws as being inherently evil. Because as we said earlier, law and order is about establishing safety and peace of mind and civility, right? So removing it feels evil, not chaotic. I would say for myself, and again, all of this is open to interpretation. So I would say for myself, law versus chaos is law says there's a correct way of doing this and, and we will commit to this correct way. We have these rules and these policies and this bureaucracy set up for a reason and we will follow it. Whereas chaos takes one look at this and says, yeah, I understand that. And I'll follow this as long as you need, but I'm not really committed. And if I can find an easier way, I'm going to take it. Yeah, for sure. So, um, The point is, when we're discussing Law vs. Chaos on on an abstract level, when it comes to role-playing games, it's very easy to end up in arguments and different interpretations, and we should not (laughs) spend too much time focusing upon it. These should be guidelines for low-level players so that they understand where to start when they're creating and exploring their role-play aspect. The, yes. uh, the alignment chart matters for planar travel and it does matter to a certain degree when you can have your alignment shifted, but by then your character should already be established and you should know what that means. Now they have a differing perspective than they did before and that's called growth and people should not be resistant to it. <laughs> your alignment shifting means that something happened and you were affected by it. That is action and consequence, and people should embrace it.
0: Yeah. Um, and anyone who comes forward and uh does the it's what my character would do because they're they're lawful stupid or or whatever it is, um is a person who really needs to reevaluate and understand the fact that the alignment system, like you said, Adam, in Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition is a loose guideline and is not something to fight over. You and I have vastly different interpretations on how law and good and chaos, uh, like how all how that all pans out, but we still play our games, we still play our characters, and our, our characters' actions have repercussions, regardless of what they're uh alignment truly is, and that's i guess
1: the big point that i want to make as we move forward with our examples of of implementing and establishing and uh giving examples of what law and and uh and encounters based on law looks like in d and d. I just want to say that we're looking at the hard and fast objective laws and not the subjective laws. The objective laws are the ones that are uh, the entire society believes in these are things that you cannot argue whether they are just or they are unjust this is the order of the game the scenario that you are playing in whether it's popularity morality survival of the fittest guild law religious law it doesn't matter these are the rules you're playing within however when you talk about subjective laws the law versus chaos good versus evil the alignment chart this, isn't, this is merely an idea to help you flesh out your character until your character is built. And then I would say, keep it written on your character sheet and essentially disregard it. Every time I level, I take a look at it and say, am I still this? Hmm. What happened narratively in the last few sessions? Maybe the answer is no, and I will shift it, and I'll let the DM know. Otherwise, yeah. it will have no bearing on whether or not you will show up for court if you get summoned there because um i can see a chaotic evil person showing up for court just cuz joker from batman loves going to court because it's a new set of rules to play with and to mess with and to disregard like it doesn't you do not have the ability like you say Dan you do not have the the ability to say it's what my character would do because he's lawful neutral if that is how you play your entire character then you have not put enough time or effort, in my opinion, into fleshing out the real reason behind why your character does the things that they do. Which is why in D&D 5th edition, I like personality traits, bonds, ideals, and flaws. This gives you a much better indication of who you are than an alignment chart does.
0: Alright, so now we're going to break off our three dynamic encounters that we have prepped in our story Uh, So far, the riots are now subdued. The uh, battle at the temple and the religious horror has passed, and we are now dealing with the fallout. Um, So Adam and I have um, three encounters each that kind of build on this whole idea of uh, our law, be it one of the nine we mentioned earlier, um, and how that is coming into effect in our current story. So Adam, let's roll off and... uh, Share our dynamic encounters, sure I got a twelve <laughs> I got a sixteen,
1: so of course I you did so I guess I'm gonna go first. um one of the things that I would like to point out again, for those of you uh who need the little reminder, we're not hitting every single major story beat here. A lot of your major story beats will just be standard encounters, and it's perfectly fine. Most set piece encounters, even fighting big bad villains and, and, um, gigantic crazy. The rocks are tumbling down the mountainside as we scramble down. These are awesome set pieces, but they're not dynamic encounters. There's a single objective that plays out to its, its final, uh, consequence. Um, we're going to be touching on some dynamic encounters to put in between the other bits and pieces. So, uh, take what you, what you will, as we talk about law and what that means, um, Keep an, uh, keep an ear out in these encounters to how these these laws that we're thinking about are applying to our, our dynamic encounters.
0: Exactly. And and also, if you guys come up with your own really interesting encounters, feel free to share them with us at the info at mimic, uh, dot com email so we could really see what you guys have to offer here too.
1: So uh, the first one that I have is, it's, it's very simple. You come out of the temple and on your way home, you hear yelling from the city gates. And you go there and see that there are a couple of overwhelmed guards that uh, have the gates closed. But, you know, you can talk through them. It's a portcullis. Or there's iron bars or whatnot. And you have to negotiate and calm down uh, some terrified refugees inside the gates. Meanwhile, the gates are getting swarmed from the outside. And they're pushing back against it. This is a bit of a role play to combat as the gates themselves break open while you're in the middle of negotiation. And you have to battle back just scared civilians and close those gates again. So this is a lot of role play that suddenly breaks out into a combat. But are you going to go for the lethal kill? And how terrified... Are, like, are the civilians going for the lethal kill? Do they even have weapons?
0: This is going to be something where you as a DM or you as a player really need to understand your subdual damage rules.
1: Yeah, and so this is this is good because you know that the town guards are under orders and they can communicate that as such. This is where your, your um, organization and your legality laws are going to come into direct conflict, maybe with your morality and your reputation, right? Your popularity. So this is yeah. a really cool uh, opportunity for your players to not really know which way they're going to go. And if they understand, and they should by now, that there are consequences of their decisions, they may want to let the people in and end up having to fight back against the guards. You
0: just don't know. For my encounter, I also have a role-playing to combat encounter as your party is approached by a group of the looters who has... Um, that knows your party was kind of shutting down the looting happening uh two sessions ago and uh they want to make sure that your party doesn't wrap them out so they're trying to do whatever they can be it bribes or apologizing paying restitution to the party um to get them to kind of uh look over the crimes that the the party witnessed um this is a really great way to put in the um bring in other npcs that the party has encountered um but at the same time now that your party's standing still for a moment talking there's going to be another group likely lachlan's lot looters who are going to see the people who could wrap them out standing there talking to someone else distracted and they're going to jump in and try to shut you up the other the old-fashioned way So uh, this will end up being another fight where not only are you going to have to fight up against the uh, Lachlan's Lot and the thugs that are there to silence you permanently, but you also have to pay mind to this other group who, are they going to get involved? Are they going to start swinging weapons? Are they going to fight for you or fight for Lachlan's Lot? So this is role-playing to combat then? Yeah, this is a role-playing to combat encounter um, and we will bring in some interesting, uh, at least regional law as well as your party might end up calling i I would balance this fight in lachlan's lot favor a little bit because that will cause your party to try to call on these groups of previous non-combatants to draw arms against the the new threat that just appeared nice
1: All right, my second one is going to be a combat to exploration. I think that when you are heading back to Tremblay's Discount Magic Stop, when you're going back to your guild, and it's time for you to kind of recoup for a bit, and you feel that you've got some downtime, you're going to get jumped by the bad guy. And they're going to just kind of stumble upon them, and they're going to be smug. And they're going to start pushing you around and say, this is nothing you can do. Go ahead and draw your weapons. And this is all going to be them taunting you through combat. And then during this fight, it's going to come out that they're distracting you and this is a decoy. And Lachlan's lot has evidence that all of this is your fault and they're heading to the courthouse. And so now (laughs) what you need to do is escape. And maybe you have an NPC or two with you, witnesses that can help, or maybe you have some physical evidence of something that Lachlan's lot did. Right, And you know that there's a diviner that works for the court system that can meditate on something and see its history. Whatever it is, you need to get evidence to the courthouse right now. And it is a race. And Lachlan's Lot doesn't necessarily know it's a race because they think they've got a decoy that's set up. So this is your combat to exploration where you go from a fight and at some point you're just going to have to turn around and leave them. If you stay for the whole fight, you will lose. So this is going to be one of the handful of times where, and I think as a DM, you should make this abundantly clear to your party.
0: Yes, retreat yeah.
1: is the right option here.
0: Yeah, you 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 make note and you play your tactics of your uh, foes in such a way that they are trying to stall and make it painfully evident that they are trying to stall. This is a great time to also know your players' passive insights. Um, and then you start speaking little tosses of wisdom to your uh, players if they're not doing it themselves.
1: You could even have a friendly NPC from the courthouse say, guys, they're there right now waiting in line to throw you under the bus. It should take about 20 minutes. Man, then Lachlan's Lot shows up with nets
0: to trip you up. So my next encounter here is a skill challenge in which the party is uh, charged, is tasked by Tremblay to assess the damage of the riots, um, in all of the local merchant shops and those who kind of play the uh, pay the Black Ink Union dues, um, this is going to be uh, identifying looters, going to be identifying uh, you know stock and what was lost, and it's a skill challenge. It it, it is trying to get your uh, players to think critically and to think you uh, creatively about what their skills can do to help them gain more information about the damage caused by the riots and the looting, and maybe generate more evidence about uh, Lachlan's Lots or another group that you might have in your campaign that is uh, causing some issues or, or has been involved in the looting in some way, shape, or form.
1: So what you're doing here now, I guess, is you're looking pretty hard at what the legality, what the fallout from these riots are and where the blame is laid
0: exactly and because you're doing this as uh as directed by tremblay uh you are doing it as directed by your organization or your guild who will um really reward if you do a good job or punish if you do a bad job at this as well so uh, I i gotta say my last one
1: is uh is a little bit different i i Think of it as role playing to role playing, but this could very easily just turn into a party politics uh, dynamic encounter. You hold a trial,
0: oh, and nice. and
1: you let the bard, whatever it is, you set it up. You let your bard or your your captain or your leader of the of your party, whatever it is, step up and actually have to defend your party's actions. Now it should be very clear that your party is in quite a lot of danger. But also has a couple of aces in the hole, and they're going to go through this. You can have a little pomp and circumstance here. This is so different than what we've been doing, where it's been swinging swords and fighting bad guys, right? We're we've, We're leaning away now from the fight, and this is just you guys holding a trial. And at the end, I believe it should be stacked up that the party is victorious. Unless your warrior rages out and starts murdering halflings in the middle of the courthouse. Which you is possible. should allow the party to be victorious here. Give them an idea of what the laws are. This is a good opportunity for you to have some exposition, which will really be focused on by the party as they wait to learn their own fate. But here's the thing. They're victorious and that's great, but before they can even celebrate, the custom here is that the defendant now gets to decide what happens to the accusing party. And you get some input on the fate of Lachlan's lot. And I like this because you can have different levels of uh, guild members for Lachlan's lot that have been arrested, and maybe including like a 14-year-old message boy who was not involved in the riots. But the whole thing is that they all have to get the same sentence. What do you do? And so, whereas you've been um, a defendant, you've been a victim, you have been trying to throw accusations. So you've been prosecution. You've been a lawyer uh, as you are digging up evidence. You're going to take the stand as your own witness, so on and so forth. Now you are the jury. What are you going to do? And this is really going to show your players to each other where their characters, moralities lie. And maybe you only give them a handful of options, but they're just like drastically different from each other and fairly extreme. And you get to see what they're going to deal with, how they're going to allow the law to move forward and, and punish the, the people that were instrumental in fear mongering or creating more of an, of an issue during your civil unrest.
0: Yeah, man, that's, that is amazing. It's really, really cool. Uh, it really establishes your party as uh, a little bit of an authority as well. And it, it really makes you have a bit of a win. Like you get to do a, uh, you get, you, you get to hit Lachlan's lot back for once. You get a slap back a little bit, everything from the smallest guy to the greatest. I love it. So my next encounter is uh, also, I, I had a mind that eventually this would boil down to a uh, courthouse fight of some kind Um, And I I thought that Lachlan's Lot would um, try to escape justice um, from your party. Uh, Your party has won the moral victory, but, uh, I mean, the leaders of Lachlan's Lot are going to try to get out of um, punishment. And this could be anything from your opposing guild in your game to um, one of the groups of looters that you managed to turn in and and, uh, arrest so uh what what's going to happen in this encounter which is a um combat to role play encounter is it starts off with uh the leadership attending or attempting to escape justice by starting a brawl in the courtroom. Um this is going to um be a full out fight um you're going to have people dressed in plain clothes like street level clothes who are agents of Lachlan's lot in the middle of the spectators who are going to be taking hostages and um maybe even doing what they can to distract long enough for the leadership of Lachlan's lot to get out so your party has to balance um the the Threat of being attacked by members of Lachlan's lot who are are hurt, who are um, angry at your party, and rightfully so from their perspective, um, to having to deal with uh, spectators suddenly being put in the cross uh, in the crosshairs, and now your party's also playing the role of protector, and all of this is while not being caught in the middle of the constabulary, who in the middle of all this will burst into the room in force. Uh, causing your party to ha- now have another third aspect of this fight that is gonna that they'll have to work around, and they're not gonna want to fight that side. They're gonna want to talk to them in the middle of the fight.
1: Well, you don't know as well. Maybe they do want to fight it because these are the corrupt, uh, the corrupt cops or tellers, oh, yeah, guardsmen hey, yeah. that, that Lachlan's lot had had been paying under the table, right? Like
0: there's so many layers. It's like an onion. So, uh, Par- yeah, parfait. The, the-
1: it's like a parfait.
0: No, like an onion. Onions have layers didn't you watch Shrek parfait did you not watch Shrek <laughs> so anyways uh that's that's my final encounter there um the the goal of the end of that encounter is that your party has maintained or uh detained the leadership level uh operatives of Lachlan's lot at least as high as they can get um to serve time for the chaos fostered during the riots. Okay, Adam, so any quick little additions uh, that you have towards these encounters? I really like the way that they all kind of focused on um, establishing to your players what to expect in the rule of law. We've got groups potentially bribing to a full-on court case, right? Like this is this is really... Uh, playing into a lot of those things that we detailed earlier of the types of law that you really want to establish with the characters while they're low.
1: Yes. My big thing is that keeping an eye on the different eight kinds of law. um, And I'll, I'll go run through them really quickly. Again, we talked about religious law, legal uh, law. So legality, organizational law, customs, uh, status, and rules of uh, honor and nobility. We talked about popularity and your reputation. We talked about morality and uh, immorality, as well as the laws of nature and survival of the fittest. Keeping these in mind and returning back to them on a semi-regular basis is going to give you another inspiration when you don't know what to do next in your campaign. Looking at what laws there are around you that you can uh, either pull on or challenge with the party is going to give you the ability to add depth that they're not going to see coming. And it makes yeah. your campaign feel far more fleshed out, just by thinking about more than than plot, but what are the overall and see? I would call this what is the theme? What are the themes of order versus mm-hmm. chaos? Yeah, and it's uh, it's an interesting and important discussion to have with yourself as a dungeon master, but it's also something to think about as a player as well. If you don't know what the customs are in this town. That might be something a little bit interesting that that you can you uh, can bring up as you walk into a village for the first time. Just say, uh, "Hey, dungeon master, is there uh, any weird customs here that we notice?" And even if the DM says, "Oh yeah, they all wear oversized hats." You will always remember the the village with the oversized hats, right? And <laughs> and so it's not going to hurt your game. It's only going to make it broader and deeper and more memorable yeah and, and far more memorable that's no. what we're looking for with all of these dynamic encounters right so it is by under, understanding what the laws are it's another way of thinking about the complexities of the game
0: okay enough of the rules let's take a week and chill out this will give us the chance to reshuffle the mental deck of cards and deal a new hand tune in next week when we discuss what it means to be local heroes Thanks for
1: listening to this episode of the It's a Mimic Campaign Builder. You can find us at www.itsamimic.com and on iTunes, Spotify, and most podcast catchers. We're also available on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and more, and would love to hear your thoughts on how you would use this episode in your own homebrew campaigns. I'm Adam. And I'm also Adam. You fucking wish. And we'll be back (laughs) with more prep work next week. (laughs)
0: done? Adam? Should be there. I think I lost you. Adam. I'm gonna hold on the recording until you start speaking to me again. Daniel. I've completely lost you. Adam... I don't hear you. Hello? I'm gonna send you a message. Adam, Adam, Adam. Adam. Daniel.
1: Can you hear me? (sighs) Fuck. Okay, bye.